Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. One of the biggest takeaways I had from those first eight or nine months was that the most important thing I could do was to see and love and interact with people as close to how our Lord and Savior sees and loves and interacts with people as possible, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what that like led to in terms of like members, people joining the church or anything like that. That was so secondary to the core learning of trying to be more Christ-like. Welcome back to the Here by Called podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and sitting across from me is Chris Woolley. Chris, how you doing? Hey, Jordan, I'm doing well. Thanks. This is this interview is a long time in the making. Um, we've been planning this for a while, and the funny thing is, I was at church, typically sit in the back. For some reason, I was sitting behind Chris and his family, and right after sacrament meeting, Chris turns behind and he's like, "Hey, did did you start a podcast? And did you interview my friend Drex?" So Chris is a a good friend of Drex Davis's. Yeah, and um, it's been a while to to tackle him down with coronavirus and everything going on, but we're, we're excited to have him. Well, and on Drex, in addition to being a, a great guy and a great friend, we also both served in Argentina. That's right. So oh. Double blessed. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Chris, let's, let's jump into this. Yeah. What mission experiences did you have before your mission? Well, um, <clears throat> just, I guess, providing a little context. I grew up in um, Southern California and, um, I was born in the church. My mom joined the church when she was, <clears throat> excuse me, when she was 18. Uh, my dad was, was born and raised in the church, but both of them were raised in California. And I was also raised in California at a time in, in my hometown of San Clemente where, um, there, there wasn't, um, there were some great members of the church in the area there. Um, not only in my, my town and in my high school, but in my stake, which was covering multiple cities, um, at that time, now San Clemente has its own stake, but, um, at the time we were very few in number, uh, in a, in a high school of a couple thousand students. I, I think we were probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 of us that were going to early morning seminary every day at the chapel before school started and then, and then going off to school. And so when you ask what kind of missionary experiences did I have before my mission? I mean, I immediately think about those, those teenage years in high school back in San Clemente with, you know, with my core group of friends that were a lot of them, most of them were not LDS and then some very dear friends that, um, are some of my dear friends to this day that, that were LDS as, as well. And so, um, it just, I think it just forced me to, um, kind of articulate to my non member friends, what it was that, that I was all about in my faith and in my faith culture and my upbringing. And so there was quite a bit of, of opportunity for sharing my feelings about my faith with others. And that, that actually kind of played out over years, has played out over years since then as well in, in some, some interesting and cool ways. But yeah, just being one of a relatively few number that had to either decide to be kind of all in or, or wishy-washy or somewhere in between. And that actually also helped me uh, make a decision to, I was accepted to BYU my senior year, but I was also accepted to UCLA. And, um, after giving it a lot of thought and prayer and discussion with my parents, I ended up deciding to go to UCLA. And part of it was because I embraced that feeling of being unique and different. You know, I'm sure I wasn't a great example all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I did feel, I've, I felt something special about, um, being, being different in a, in a crowd in a, in a way that, you know, made my soul feel good. And, um, and I, 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 I wanted to be that. So, um, yeah, and I, I made, I'm sure I made lots of my 
plenty of mistakes, but, uh, but that was something that was powerful. And I sensed, and I I dialed into that feeling in high school and and in college. You had one, one of those friends, one of those non-member friends you had ended up joining the church. Yeah. Mike Knapp. Um, Mike, I believe Mike moved into our ward, um, boundaries, our sophomore year in high school. And, uh, he and his, his, so it was his mom, Ruth and his Mike and his sister, Michelle, and they, Ruth was, had joined the church already and she was just really on fire with a strong, deep conviction of, of the restored gospel. Mike and Michelle, their biological father lived back in Missouri and he had, he was a preacher in an, in another church. In was, Missouri. Yeah. Some church history there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and their dad's, their, Mike's biological father's a really great, great guy who I've met, spent some time with over the years a little bit. But they, I, I don't want to speak for Mike or Michelle, but that they, they were slower to coming to embrace the gospel, I think in part because of their dad and not wanting to like pick sides or right. betray his faith and history and whatever. But anyways, they, they, they joined the church, um, I believe when Mike was a junior and our bishop at the time, Russ Griner, the, the amazing and awesome Bishop Griner was such a big influence on me and on, on many of us. He, um, he was really influential in Mike's decision to, to be baptized and join the church. And at that point, you know, all the, all the back and forth, I think in Mike's mind up until then, kind of just when it, when he finally made the decision, it, he was just all in and it just has always been an example to me that in that regard. Um, and so, you know, so Mike went from being, the, the guy who was in this part member family that we knew about because his mom was a member and, you know, to being a very close friend and then joining the church and being one of my very best friends, he, he and I have had just had a special relationship over the years that started during that time when, and then we became kind of members of the same priest quorum and, and had the opportunity to, to, to do splits with missionaries and, we even taught the gospel to some of our friends, um, in our, you know, at school. Um, and, and that really like kind of continued this, um, just this real deep desire to be missionaries and to, um, to be a part of like this dispensation and the missionary work. And yeah. we were just feeling really inspired about all that. And, and I remember going on splits with Mike, you know, like on a like mutual night or whatever during the middle of the week and going on splits with the missionaries and then, and then kind of re- regrouping after that and being like, man, wouldn't that be amazing if we could serve, you know, together in some kind of full-time capacity in the mission, in the mission field. And, and he went off to BYU, Idaho, which was Rick's college at the time. And I, and I, as I mentioned, I went to UCLA and then we came or I came home to my parents for the summer uh, after that first year at UCLA. And he stayed up in Idaho to work on a ranch, on a ranch on a farm uh, on a ranch actually up in, in Idaho. And we ended up getting um, our calls on the same day and in a very kind of special way, you know, before texting and FaceTiming, we were, we were on the phones, like filling, I was filling him in, you know, cause I got my call first and I, I told him, I said, you're not going to believe this. I got, I got called to Argentina by Ia Blanca and it just feels amazing. And, and he's like, man, I, I haven't, still haven't got mine yet, you know? And, and then his mom called and she got it at her house in Southern California. And so she, you know, at the time, the only way to do this was to fax it to up to him. <laughs> and so she faxed, faxed the, the, the letter up to him. He wanted to read it first. And then, and then he called me back and was like, Hey, you know, you, you need to sit down to hear this. And I said, what? And he, and he says, uh, you know, he read his mission call to me and it was the exact same mission and both reporting for duty on the 29th of September and the Provo MTC. And so we just had this, you know, on the phone, we were just like overcome with this emotion and, and kind of special feeling that we had you know, being called to the same mission and we were going to start at the same time. And then that began, you know, that began this next chapter of our journey, um, as friends and as, as missionaries. Um, and of course, when we, we got, we started having strong feelings like we were going to be companions and, 
Um, and sure enough, we, you know, we, we, we pack up, get everything ready, you know, have our farewells, go up to Provo, check in and, and sure enough, we're assigned to be companions in the MTC for those nine, eight or nine weeks, whatever it was. And, uh, and that was a really special, really unique time. Um, and, uh, and then we ended up at the end of our mission being companions for three more months, which was also kind of a really, really neat thing as well. So that's awesome. So you go to the MTC and I'm excited that I have to explain this because we have non-members that will listen. Sure. This, but MTC stands for missionary training center. And so you go there, you get your mission call, you go there and you learn the language of the people you'll be serving. You learn kind of how to teach, how to be a missionary. And then you leave from there to your actual mission. That's right. And so, so I had a, I had a roommate at UCLA in the dorms my freshman year and Pete Jensen, not a member of the church, great guy. And I would explain this to him. I, I was like, yeah, go to the MTC first. And he's like, wait, what? I was like the missionary training center. He's like, mission control one. What, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so he called it mission control one. And, uh, but I've always joked around about it. Sometimes I call it the MTC or mission control one, but yeah, you go to the MTC, you, if you're learning a foreign language, you do intensive, um, language training skills. And then you, you also do a intensive, um, skills development about teaching people about teaching the gospel. And so you really study a lot about the doctrine and, and how to, how to, how to teach the doctrine to other people. And then just all aspects of missionary life. And there's a lot of training that goes on there. So, yeah. so you get a ton of practice and then you actually fly on an airplane and you go to the place yeah. that you'll be serving. That's right. So what was it like getting off a plane in a foreign country and now you're expected to be teaching people in their language and you might not even have a grasp on it. Like what, what's your best advice, I guess, for someone that might be struggling or, or a new missionary? Well, so when I got my call to go to Argentina, Spanish speaking, I was thrilled because I grew up in, like I said, Southern California in a place where, um, I played soccer in high school. A lot of my teammates were Mexican or Hispanic. And, and so I, I had a chance to th develop some Spanish and I yeah. took, I took lots, it took three or four years of Spanish, I think. So I always was well, like, awesome. I was drawn to the Spanish language and, and it was something that was fun for me. But when I got off the plane, I remember, I don't know exactly where we were. We were, we were kind of in route between the airport and the mission home in Buenos Aires, which wasn't our mission home, but it was like, we were staying over there for a few hours before we then got on buses and went to our various missions. And I don't know, we were, we were like in some kind of retail or shopping area. And this little woman like was like talking to us. And I was like, I think I understood about 3% of what she said. <laughs> she was just speaking so fast. And it was just going right over my head. And I, I was like, uh oh, I'm, uh, I, I thought I was going to be more prepared than this. And, and so, um, I guess, so I was overwhelmed at first. And then, and then fast forward in my first area, I got, I got um, assigned to an area in the middle of the country in a very kind of maybe kind of like figure like Oklahoma or Kansas in the United States, kind of the middle of the country, which was very agricultural. And there's a lot of ranching in that part of Argentina. And it was, it was beautiful. It was flat. It was beautiful. It was wide open, which was all neat. But, but I, I just remember in those initial weeks, um, it was, it was kind of, uh, it was early December, it, you know, uh, it did, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like what I thought early December should feel like, you know, Christmas wasn't in the air. Like, you know, it, it wasn't cool or no, it was, it was summer down there. Oh, right. And, um, but, but I grew up in a pretty temperate climate. It's not like I had white Christmases and, you know, in Southern California, but something about it was just all very foreign and very different. Everything about it was all very foreign and very different, obviously. But, um, you know, the, just you're, you're so exhausted after a full day in, in a new environment like that and with a new language and trying to get up to speed that every day you just felt so drained and I, I would just fall into bed and, and go to sleep so quickly. And, but, but there was a time several weeks into it where I, I was overcome with, um, with feelings that this was, this was not what I thought it was going to be. Um, I was, shocked and saddened that not everyone wanted to talk to me <laughs> or us. <laughs> I thought that people were just going to be lining up to hear our message and embrace it. And 
in fact, that wasn't the case. And the small town that I was serving in, you know, it felt, it felt very constrained and like, like there was not much I could do to, to effectuate real meaningful change. And so it all of a sudden was overwhelming in, in a, in a, in a depressing way out of the, right out of the gate. When mm-hmm. I had had this amazing run up, I felt like I was, there was no question in my mind that I wanted to go on a mission. I was, I had so much conviction in, in, in everything leading up. I had this amazing experience with one of my best friends, Mike Knapp, that we got to serve in the MTC. And then, and then I was at a great, great trainer ever, you know, but, but I was in this just funk early on. And I remember the shower, you know, the shower was not a very good shower. Um, it, they, the shower in that, in that apartment was just, um, it, you know, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a wonderful shower. And I remember being in the shower one morning and feeling overcome with, um, with feelings of kind of just, you know, sadness and like frustration and depression. And I, and I started to cry all by myself in that, in that morning. And, and I was like, I've got 22 months left of this and I'm not even sure I can get through the next 24 hours. And so the, as I've shared this with, with other people before, be prepared to be, um, kind of shocked or surprised in difficult ways that you probably can't imagine, but just take it one day at a time and just take it even just one hour at a time and realize that the work in the, in the, in the Lord's kingdom plays out and, and, uh, happens on the Lord's timetable. And even if you're eager, like I was and, and feeling so full of the spirit and ready to go, you might need to just be patient and, and just get through one day, one experience, one hour at a time, because I, I certainly needed to. And, and that was a, that was a recurring theme for about the first half of my, almost the first half of my mission was a, a big test in patience in recalibrating my expectations to, um, align, you know, align my perception of what was a successful outcome for a given day or week or month or, you know, area that I was serving in with what the Lord was, was viewing as a successful outcome. And so that was a huge learning for me that, um, has stayed with me ever since. I love that. For those listening that might not know Chris, I'm Chris is very smart, talented. He's a humble person, but Chris, Chris is, I, I look up to you. I, I, I think the world of you, well, but man. the thing is that you had those feelings and they're not uncommon feelings. And I hope that anyone that is going to serve or has served doesn't feel like they were weak or that they were less than anyone else, because everyone's going to have that, the frustration of like, doesn't everyone want to hear the gospel? Like, doesn't everyone want these blessings? And I, everyone wants the blessings, but there's this thing called agency yeah. and that, that's, that's where that patience develops. Yeah. In fact, so I was only in my first area for two short months. And then I was in my second area, even farther away from the mission home, even it was on the outer boundaries geographically of our, of our mission. And it was even more remote. And we spent, um, half of our week in one little town and then, um, and, and, and the other half in the other little town, we, we split between these two little towns um, and we would go on Sunday, we'd have meetings on Sunday morning in the one town and have administer the sacrament. We lived in the house that was the chapel as well. And then we'd hop on a bus midday on Sunday. And then we would have sacrament meeting in the afternoon with three women that were members of the church in this, this other town. And for six months in that area as you know, we, we had in, in terms of like, numbers of people that embraced the gospel and joined the church. Um, it was very few. In fact, it was one nine-year-old girl that was in a part member family, beautiful family, beautiful little girl. But in six months, there were no kind of adult member, adult converts that joined the church. And as I mentioned that, that theme of like patience and learning success. Yeah. 
for like one of the successes, exactly. One of the biggest takeaways I had from those first eight or nine months was that the most important thing I could do was to see and love and interact with people as close to how our Lord and Savior sees and loves and interacts with people as possible, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what that like led to in terms of like members, people joining the church or anything like that. That was so secondary to the core learning of trying to be more Christ-like and some days were better than others. Um, but with the benefit of hindsight and years of, of thinking about it, that was such a powerful and important thing for me to learn during those early months of my mission. You mentioned that you had a really good trainer and um, you were blessed with a lot of great companions and, and, and tough companions as well. And I think that's a blessing as well. Yeah. How did your companions help you learn and grow as a missionary and disciple of Jesus Christ? Like, were there certain like themes or moments that you had with them that are like that, that changed the way I, I see things. So, I mean, each companion was, uh, was, was totally different. Um, and so, um, I think that's one of the, one of the takeaways is that, you know, being open to, um, learning something new from each companion, um, elder Bowles and elder Spencer, um, elder Cole, elder Barrett. These were my first four companions. I mean, I could, I could tell you an hour on each (laughs) one things I learned. Um, but just, I think there's something, there's something really good about learning to live with someone that you don't have any history with and that you've got to get along with and that you need to strive to have the spirit with. And, um, you know, that, that can happen easier with certain combinations than others. And so the, the, the key I think was when, when the combination was really powerful and awesome, man, that, those were, those were, those were really special, um, you know, times and, and companionships. And I had a bunch of those and there were some where, where there was a disconnect and, um, and I was probably being too self-righteous and, or, or not patient enough. And, and there were probably shortcomings on the other side from my companion as well. One of them was dealing with some real mental health issues and he, he ended up going home and there was actually, um, not to, not to over dramatize it, but there was, there was a couple moments there where it was, it was kind of scary. Um, and, uh, I've wondered how he is and where he is and what's happened with his life over these years. I've completely lost contact with him. He was, he just, he had some real, real issues with mental health. And, um, I was actually, I was actually scared to be alone with him. Um, and, uh, we, I made a, he was, it was the first time I was made to be a senior companion. He was my junior companion. Um, and, um, and we were serving in the mission headquarters city of Bahia Blanca and, um, our Bishop, we had a, like a, we had like a, a meeting with the Bishop one night and he asked if he could speak with the Bishop alone. And then the Bishop pulled me aside afterward and said, I don't think it's a good idea for you guys to be alone tonight. I just have a, not a not good feeling about this. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and so we went home that night. And of course I'm like, I don't even know what to do now. You know, we were riding our bikes home. It was probably nine o'clock or something. And we had this, we had this really awkward, um, kind of really uneasy exchange when we got back to our apartment. And I, um, I had this prompting that we needed to get on our bikes and go to the mission home. And, uh, and I told him that and, and he wasn't happy about that. And, uh, but I said, you can come with me or you can stay here, but I'm going to the mission home. And, uh, and so he came with me and, um, and we, we spent the night in the mission home and I, I'm glad we did. And the very next day, the mission president met with each of us and, and then re reassigned the companionship and, um, and I got a new companion, Elder Zini, uh, from Argentina at that point. Great, great, great guy. And then he went to go be with this, um, this other, this, um, big, strong, like football playing, you know, lineman that played at Rick's and, uh, 
because I think the mission president worried that, that there could have been like a confrontation, like a, like almost like a, f- a fight or whatever. And within like a week or 10 days that it did, it came to, it came to a head and he ended up, it just, he ended up going home. So, um, and he just, he just stormed out of there and left. He didn't, it's not like he like, I don't know how he got home, but I've always, I've always wondered about him and I sure hope he's okay. But that was a, that was a tricky situation that I, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a class on that in the MTC, no, in mission no. control one about how to, how to <laughs> handle that. Um, you mentioned your mission president. One of the, one of the first people you meet in your mission is your mission president. Yeah. And to, again, to describe this to people who might not be familiar, the mission president is the ecclesiastical leader over yeah. all the missionaries and he's giving trainings and, and following up, make sure everything's going okay. Tell us about your first mission president's wife. Like what, what did you learn from them? Oh, so president Finlinson, um, Reese Finlinson he and his wife were just, uh, they were from a small town, Delta, Utah. And yeah. do you know where Delta is? I do know Delta. <laughs> he was uh, first cousins with uh, James E. Faust, who also grew up in Delta, Utah. And so they were, they were about the same. I think at the time, um, President Faust, who was serving the first presidency when, when I was down there on my mission, I, I believe, or maybe it was after, but he, he would tell these stories about growing up with his, his cousin, Elder Faust. Yeah. He was, just, but President Finlinson and his wife were just two of the most humble, salt of the earth people that I had ever met and soft spoken, just full of love, full of Christ like love, unconditional. And you just felt, you just felt like they, like there was no guile, no, nothing but goodness in them. And, um, but very mild mannered. And, um, and so that was, that was for, most of my mission was president Finlinson, And I learned a lot. I learned a lot from him, um, just in the way he conducted himself and in our, in our interactions. And then, um, about, uh, five or six months before I was, you know, wrapping up my mission, we got a, we got a new mission president and that was Quinn Gardner, Quinn and Donna Gardner. And they came down and he was totally, he couldn't have been more different. He was, um, he was, um, way more energetic, way more engaging, much more of an extrovert versus President Finlinson being an introvert and um, had this career in business, which sounded so exciting. And, um, and whereas President Finlinson, I think was a psychiatrist and, and just couldn't have been more different. And when President Gardner arrived, um, he just, immediately kind of connected with my soul and I, and vice versa. I think we just, we just had a special connection and, uh, and, and I, I learned so much from him too. Just a great, great contrast, but great to see how you can learn from two different people in that way. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. At least as a kid growing up, I was like, Oh, there's one type of leadership and that's the best type. And it's like, no, it's being yourself and, you know, using your talents and skills that you have to, to share. Yeah. Well, being yourself, I mean, they were so authentic in who they were. And I think that's what made them so special. So we've talked a lot about missionaries and people in the mission or related to the church, but who are some of the people that you were blessed to serve? Like, what are their stories? Oh, like, well, you, you have a list here. I'll let you oh. have the cheat sheet. Here. Well, yeah. So, um, there were, there were some amazing, uh, families that were in the church, um, in that, in that, in that second area where I was for six months, the Vidal family was just really, really special. Uh, he was the branch president and, um, I learned a lot from them and just had some wonderful, wonderful experiences with them and many, many members of the church. And then, um, it wasn't until really this, this almost the second half of my mission that I had, some really special experiences teaching people that ended up joining the church and, um, that you know of that I know of. Yeah. 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 I'm putting the asterisks on it. Yeah. Because sometimes you, you get the chance to go back to your mission or hear about it. And you're like, wow, that person I taught in the first three months <laughs> that like nothing happened, like they got yeah. baptized and it, it's crazy. That's right. Well, so in, when I, when I transferred to one of the big cities at almost the midpoint of my, my service, um, it just dawned on me that, that, that there was an imbalance in the church between faithful women and faithful men. There weren't as many 
faithful priesthood holding men serving in the church down in Argentina as there were women. And I I suspect that's probably the case in a lot of different places. And so I really was like trying to rack my brain as to how we could tap into good men and, and, um, and, and find and teach the gospel to men that were good, honorable men that would, that this message would resonate with. And so we, um, we ended up, our district ended up deciding, well, why don't we go to where good men who are faithful to their families and good fathers, let's go to where they are on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Let's go to this big park, this big public park in, in, in one of our areas. And we made this big board where, you know, it had a, you know, one, one time it might've been we, we like handmade these like collages of things from church materials. And like, we drew some things of like the eternal family or, you know, the book of Mormon or just, you know, prophets. And we, we would kind of pick a theme and we would go to the park on, on one of those afternoons. And, and, uh, we ended up, um, we ended up meeting some great people, including, um, the Kamlovsky family, which doesn't sound like an Argentine last name. It's actually, I think it's Polish, but they had emigrated to Argentina, you know, or the family, the, his parents had, I believe, but, but the Kamlovsky family, um, we found them, you know, we found them in the park and, uh, and our thesis was tested and we found some, some really good people. And, um, they, um, I remember we had a, a family home evening at the home of the Bishop at the time in our ward. And, um, and the father of the family that we were teaching, he pulled us aside or pulled me aside afterward. He said, now, what do we need to do to join this, to, to be a part of this? And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that's a great question. Let's talk. And so, you know, they ended up, they ended up joining the church and then this, another family called the Caliguri family, um, also was able to join the church. And there was a young man that was um, close to that family. It wasn't biologically related to them. He joined the church as well, Gustavo at the same time. And so, um, and then, and then, so those were a couple of just, just wonderful kind of families that I got to see join the church at the time. And then there was a couple, um, just amazing young men who, um, um, the Lord put in my path and vice versa. And, um, I had the, I had the, the privilege of, of kind of introducing them to the gospel and, and they, they both ended up joining the church, um, one in, in Bahia Blanca and one in Mar del Plata. And, um, anyways, the Emiliano and Nestor, just, just great, great guys. I could, we could spend a whole hour talking about <laughs> both of them. So, um, yeah. And I, I was going to reflect now you know, when you left, there was just like faxing and, and phones, but now there's social media and there's ways to keep in contact. Have, have you been able to, to see kind of how their lives have played out or kept in contact with any of these people? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in touch with all the people I just mentioned oh, awesome. through, through social media and, um, really, you know, my age, you know, Facebook is kind of like the, you know, <laughs> was the main, you know, social media platform that I think people in their forties now, uh, probably use most um, versus some of the newer platforms. But anyways, through Facebook, um, I've, uh, I've been able to reconnect with them. And um, one thing I, uh, one, one important learning and, and ongoing, you know, kind of experience that's an outgrowth of my mission from all these years ago is just the lifelong interaction through social media, primarily and some in, in some instances in person, because there have been a chance to, to reconnect in person um, with some of these wonderful people, both that were already members of the church or that joined the church. And, um, and just being candid about this, um, a number of the people that we just meant that I just mentioned have, um, have left the church and um, for, for a variety of reasons. And, um, and yet our relationship is still there into to one degree or another. And my love for them is still, um, is, is not changed one bit. And I feel that their love for me has not changed one bit. Um, and this is a long journey. This is the part of a mission that takes a lifetime perhaps, 
or more that I think is a really important part of a, of a mission and a two-year mission experience or 18-month mission experience is that they're, they're almost assuredly now more so than when I was there are previous generations because of the interconnectedness of social media, there's going to be an opportunity for full-time missionaries to have ongoing interactions with um, people from their mission. And also one of my companions has fallen away. In fact, maybe more than one. Um, I know for sure that one of my companions has fallen away and, um, and I haven't, uh, I've reached out to him and I, and he was just someone that I really connected with and, and just, um, really loved like a brother. And, and, um, he hasn't been super willing to, or, or open to getting together and, and connecting, um, which I've, I've wanted to do. And I, and when the time's right, I'm sure we will. Um, so, so those are some interesting things that yeah. have played out over the years. And I think going back to the beginning of your mission where you had those really hard months, but you learned that the mission was about loving people, not necessarily their activity in the church. 100%. And there's so much weight as a return missionary. At least my mission president was big on keeping contact with these people. And it's the same story on my side. There's people that left the church. There's companions that have left the church. But regard, I, I love them regardless of their decisions. Oh, 100%. And I learned that on my mission. And so I think it can be, if you don't, if you don't learn the lesson of what success is on the mission and loving people, you might think when when you go home and they fall away that you somehow failed as a missionary. Yeah. But they're entitled to their agency. So again, like just keep loving, keep reaching out and, and that's all you can do. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned something you said that you know of earlier, something that's been special as well is, um, you know, th there, there's a contrasting kind of, um, there's, there's heartache when someone um, walks away from, the gospel, which you know, and, and have a, f just a deep conviction brings happiness and joy and when they walk away from it and, and, and walk away from the ability to tap into that and the spirit on a, on a continual basis. Um, there's those feelings, but there's also some amazing unexpected feelings that are to the good, like children of people that, that I taught, which were little, little girls at the time or little boys and have now grown up and, you know, have, are now married in the temple and having their own children and use, and, and having yeah. a connection with them. It's, it's really been special to see that as well. That's awesome. So Chris, were there any miracles that you were blessed to see while you were serving or, or even like reflecting back? Well, um, I mean, as I think about that question, I mean, I feel like the mission was a series of many little miracles and many bigger, more substantial miracles. And I feel like the whole mission was a miracle in, <laughs> in the sense that um, it really transformed me um, in ways I never could have imagined and set me on a course in my life that um, I just, I, I know is divine, has been divinely inspired, you know, even though there's been bumps and bruises along the way during and since then. Um, but, um, you know, just, I mean, everything from, um, getting the call and the way that all went down to, you know, each of my areas that I served in and, and, you know, I, I think about, I think about ways that we were, um, that we were introduced to or, or ran into people that we ended up teaching all, all of those were, um, I'm convinced were, were miraculous in nature with divine inter intervention. But, but I think rather than kind of talking about one specific thing, I think the whole thing was a miracle for me. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I love that you said that there's daily and there's many miracles and that's the, when you're writing in your journal every day as a missionary, that's the thing that you need to focus on is the miracles. Yeah. At least in my opinion, I, I, I cringe when I read back on it is like, this is what I did. This is what I did. like, no one cares, but is that the ability to see the miracles mm -hmm. and it's so important to continue that in your life when you come home from your mission. And like you said, there's bumps and there's bruises, but to look for the good and look for the ways that the father's hands in your life. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the journal aspect is, is, was I'm very grateful that I did the journaling that I did. Um, 
and it, it does cause you to self-reflect and to draw out those things. And I've been very grateful, but that's something I would totally encourage people to do. I wasn't much of a journaler at all prior to my mission, but I did, I did manage to pretty consistently keep a, keep a good journal on my mission. And I think that's a great thing, by the way, just to yeah. reiterate what you were saying. So your mission, you're getting older and, and things are wrapping up and you said you were with the gardeners as mission president and yeah. sister gardener and you, you had a real close relationship. Yeah. So back to my friend, Mike, Elder Knapp, yeah. um, um, he was serving as the assistant to um, President Finlinson right up until the very end when President and Sister Finlinson finished and went home and then and then President Gardner came down and there were, um, one, I think, I think this was a change that President Gardner instituted. We went from having two assistants to having four. And um, so there were two companions of assistants and, um, and shortly thereafter, after President Gardner arrived, um, I was called to be Mike's companion as one of the one of the assistants to, to president Gardner. And, and that was so, that was so amazing. You that know, sounds like a massive miracle right there. That was that you yeah. started and probably got to end or were close to finishing with Mike. Yeah. Yeah. We did. We did finish. It was, it ended up being three, the last three months together as companions. So it was a total of five months, two in the MTC and then two or three at the end. But we had, we had some amazing experiences. And one of the things that I'll always be thankful to, to Mike uh, for was he helped me learn to pray like I'd never prayed before. And that actually was one of the key things I took away from my time in the MTC was um, just um, fervent prayer and doing it in companionship as well as individually. And I, I just, I prayed like I'd never prayed before. And that was that's always been the standard, um, you know, since I've finished my mission and been home is, you know, are my prayers along the lines of what they were during, during that time of my life. And, um, I, it was just amazing when, when with the power of prayer and, um, it, it just was, it was really helpful for me, um, and Mike, um, during that, that time. And I think we both kind of helped each other elevate that way. But anyways, towards the end, when we were, um, when we were companions, um, I don't know exactly how long it was after that, but sister Gardner got sick and, um, went in to the doctor and had some x-rays and they discovered she had a big tumor that apparently they didn't catch when they did her medical screening before she she and president Gardner came down on their mission and she had this big tumor and I think it was in her lungs and it was not good. And like, like the very next day she was on a flight back to Bountiful, Utah, which is where, you know, where they were from. And, um, and I think a, a short time after that, I think it was a day or two later, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, um, one of the members of the quorum of the 12 apostles, elder Richard G. Scott, um, phoned, president Gardner and said, um, you know, you need to go be with your wife and Pr elder Scott had, um, been on an assignment in his calling in the quorum of the 12 traveling somewhere when his wife got ill suddenly, as I understand it, and she passed away and, and, uh, he encouraged president Gardner to go and be by his wife's side and leave physically go back to the United States. And so leave the mission, leave the mission. Yeah. And so we, um, we started having um, very frequent conference calls. I don't know if it was daily or multiple times a week. I don't remember exactly how frequent they were, but we were kind of getting our direction from our mission president who was back in, in Bountiful, Utah. And, um, and we were, um, it, it really caused us and our whole mission to sort of elevate our game, so to speak, and, and rise up to the occasion. Cause it was like, we didn't have, our leader. We didn't have our mission president in our presence anymore. It was up to us how we wanted to conduct ourselves. It was up to us how we wanted to, how obedient we wanted to be to the mission rules and or not, and how hard we wanted to, you know, work. And I just remember, you know, I, I remember that the mission, I felt like we really stepped up during that time. And it was, um, it was a pretty unprecedented experience for any of us yeah. to, to have that. And so we ended up extending our mission for 
about two more months. Um, not maybe not quite, but there's a month and a half, maybe a six week transfer. Um, and, um, while sister Gardner ended up passing, passing away and they released president Gardner and they called a new mission president. And, um, and so we stayed a little longer during that period when it, when it wasn't, uh, the changing. Yeah. We, we left right before the new one got there, but, but he had been, he'd been called and assigned and I never met him. He came right after we left and came home. Wow. And I'm looking at, you, you got this picture of you with, Oh. With President Nelson. And is is this President Gardner as well? No, that's not. That's another um another general authority. Ham Melvin Hammond, okay. um, who is from Idaho, and he was a member of the of the 70. And I, I love this picture. It's a little grainy. Um, but this was at the airport in Bahia Blanca, and you know, there's four of us: Mike Knapp, Elder Hammond, myself, and then Elder Nelson, who was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve at the time. And then right, here's another picture of me and Mike just a couple years earlier as we were going through the... Uh, it's kind of the beginning. Of the, the, yeah, the San Diego Temple, you know. receiving our endowments and, and uh, you know, anticipating the experience that would be our mission. And then towards the end, um, I think they're even time-stamped. Yeah, that one's in 93 and that one's in 95. But... Um, you know, a little more, a little more wear on the tires here on me, <laughs> but, uh, but I love that because, um, uh, you know, it just reminds me that a mission is a marathon too. Maybe this is one of the closing parting thoughts, but a mission is a marathon, not a sprint. And kind of back to what I was saying earlier, when I, when I had those feelings of being overwhelmed and depressed and frustrated early on in my mission, um, remembering that it's a, it's an endurance event. It's not a, uh, burst of sprint event. Um, and, um, I, I just, uh, I think that if you can hang on and hang in there, that the Lord will, will bless you with experiences that, uh, you never even imagined. So. Absolutely. So re reflecting back on your mission, how did your relationship with the savior change during your service from the beginning of when you were first out there to then? when this picture was taken? Oh, I think it matured. I think I, um, it became, you know, the, the life and mission and reality of Jesus Christ became so much more real to me after serving unconditionally serving for those two years. Um, and putting everything on hold, um, you know, I had my grand, one of my grandfathers, uh, my one set of grandparents is not LDS and, um, he's passed away. My grandmother's still alive, but he's passed away and an, an amazing, amazing man in, in so many ways, but he was really confused by the fact that I was putting everything on hold and was encouraging me not to go on a mission. Um, and, um, and I, I just think that, um, the, relationship that I developed with my father in heaven and with my savior, um, and with the Holy ghost, all three members of the Trinity just matured and developed in ways I could have never imagined. It's like, it like fast forwarded it. Like, you know, sometimes I listen to a podcast on one and a half times. <laughs> it's, it was like, it was like digesting spiritual growth on one and a half times, or maybe even more during a full two years of my life in a way that was, um, just so profound and great. And it was hard. It was difficult. It was not the way I expected it. Um, and the lessons I learned were not the lessons I thought I needed to learn, <laughs> but, um, but going through it all, um, I, I just I couldn't imagine not having lived through that. It's, it really has, it really kind of set the table for the rest of my adult journey. So that's awesome. I love that. You said it was hard and it was difficult and it was harder than you imagined, but the blessings were also different and deeper than you ever imagined as well. Yeah. The trials were more profound and deep, but the blessings were more profound and deep as well. Yeah. So this, this is my last question and you didn't answer it before because I think I stumped you and I don't know if you had time to reflect <laughs> on it but I put, what did you learn about yourself that you didn't know before? Um, uh, that I can, that I can, that I can grow and change in ways that I didn't 
didn't even know that I needed to. And, um, so that's probably what I would answer that question with. That's a, that's a good answer. Well, Chris, thanks again for, for coming on and for sharing and, um, yeah, just beautiful experiences and testimony. I'm excited for your family to hear this and for your friends and, and mission companions that you've served with. Thank Wrap, you. Wrapping up, would you, would you mind sharing your, your testimony? And I have to say this with an asterisk. Normally people want to share in their mission language. It's, it's an honor for them. And not that it's not an honor for Chris, but he... I will. I will. I okay. Because okay, I think I said either way. So this is cold turkey. You know, I got to yeah. rev up the engines here, but <laughs> maybe I'll do a little bit of both. Um, but uh, Jordan, before that, thank you for having me. I think what you're doing is really cool here. It's really special. I think that uh, there's... I think I've listened to several of these podcasts that you've done and and uh, it's just... It's a wonderful way for people to share and to receive learnings that they've had or, or that they're about to have. So thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, muy bien. Um, bueno, mi testimonio que quisiera compartir es que yo sé que um, todos somos hijos de nuestro Padre Celestial, um, que Dios, nuestro Padre, nos ama y Quiere que nosotros seamos felices. Um, yo también sé que su Hijo Jesucristo es nuestro Salvador. Que uh, la expiación es real. Y que Él es la manera para que podamos volver a vivir con, con Dios y con Él después. Y con nuestras familias después de esta vida. Y sé que... La iglesia verdadera ha sido restaurada en estos últimos días y, y que el sacerdocio y los templos y las ordenanzas um, están aquí para nosotros en este tiempo y, y que las familias pueden ser eternas. Um, sé que estas cosas son verdaderas. And I, just, I just would say that I know that the church is true. I know that we're children of our Father in heaven and that Jesus Christ is our savior and that the church in its, in its glory and fullness has been restored in these latter days through a prophet, even Joseph Smith, and that we're led and guided by a prophet today. And, and that the book of Mormon is the word of God together with the other scriptures. And all these things are meant for our happiness. And I know that with my whole soul. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Chris, thanks again for, for coming on. If you've, those who are listening, if you've enjoyed these stories and these experiences like we've had, um, like Chris said, share with your, your family and friends on Spotify and Apple podcasts. And uh, until then, check us out on hereby and look for our post again on Sunday. Thanks.